Section 5 of The Natural History, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Eric Ayers, Atlanta, Georgia. The Natural History, Volume 3, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 5. Chapter 39. Insects that are parasites of man. Which is the smallest of animals? Animals found in wax even. Then, too, in dead carrion, there are certain animals produced, and in the hair, too, of living men. It was through such vermin as this that the dictator Scylla and Alcman, one of the most famous of the Grecian poets, met their deaths. These insects infest birds, too, and are apt to kill the pheasant, unless it takes care to bathe itself in the dust. Of the animals that are covered with hair, it is supposed that the ass and the sheep are the only ones that are exempt from these vermin. They are produced also in certain kinds of cloth, and more particularly those made of the wool of sheep which have been killed by the wolf. I find it stated also by authors that some kinds of water which are used for bathing are more productive of these parasites than others. Even wax is found to produce mites, which are supposed to be the very smallest of all living creatures. Other insects, again, are engendered from filth, acted upon by the rays of the sun. These fleas are called petrosae, from the activity which they display in their hind legs. Others, again, are produced with wings, from the moist dust that is found lying in holes and corners. Chapter 40 an animal which has no passage for the evacuations. There is an animal, also, that is generated in the summer, which has its head always buried deep in the skin of a beast, and so, living on its blood, swells to a large size. This is the only living creature that has no outlet for its food. Hence, when it has overgorged itself, it bursts asunder, and thus its very aliment is made the cause of its death. This insect never breeds on beasts of burden, but is very commonly seen on oxen, and sometimes on dogs, which, indeed, are subject to every species of vermin. With sheep and goats, it is the only parasite. The thirst, too, for blood displayed by leeches, which we find in marshy waters, is no less singular, for these will thrust the entire head into the flesh in quest of it. There is a winged insect, which peculiarly infest dogs and more especially attacks them with its sting about the ears where they are unable to defend themselves with their teeth chapter forty one moss cantharides gnats an insect that breeds in the snow dust too is productive of worms and wools and cloths and this more especially if a spider should happen to be enclosed in them for being sensible of thirst it sucks up all the moisture and thereby increases the dryness of the material. These will breed in paper also. There is one kind which carries with it its husk, in the same manner as the snail, only that the feet are to be seen. If deprived of it, it does not survive, and when it is fully developed, the insect becomes a chrysalis. The wild fig tree produces gnats, known as ficari, and the little grubs of the fig tree, the pear tree, the pine, the wild rose, and the common rose produce cantharides when fully developed. These insects, which are venomous, carry with them their antidote,
for their wings are useful in medicine, while the rest of the body is deadly. Again, liquids turned sour will produce other kinds of gnats, and white grubs are to be found in snow that has lain long on the ground, while those that lie above are of a reddish color. Indeed, the snow itself becomes red after it has lain some time on the ground. These grubs are covered with a sort of hair, or of a rather large size, and in a state of torpor. Chapter 42 An Animal Found in Fire The Paralis, or Parasta That element also, which is so destructive to matter, produces certain animals. For in the copper smelting furnaces of Cyprus, in the very midst of the fire, there is to be seen flying about a four-footed animal with wings, the size of a large fly. This creature is called the Paralis, and by some, Parasta. So long as it remains in the fire, it will live. But if it comes out and flies a little distance from it, it will instantly die. Chapter 43 The Animal Called Hemorobion The Hypanis, a river of Pontus, brings down in its waters, about the same time of the summer solstice, small membranous particles, like a grapestone in appearance, from which there issues an animal with four legs with wings, similar to the one just mentioned. It does not, however, live more than a single day, from which circumstance it has obtained the name of Hemorobion. The life of other insects of a similar nature is regulated from its beginning to its end by multiples of seven. Thrice seven days is the duration of the life of the gnat and of the maggot, while those that are viviparous live four times seven days, and their various changes and transformations take place in periods of three or four days. The other insects of this kind, which are winged, generally die in the autumn, and the gadfly, becoming quite blind even before it dies. Flies which have been drowned in water, if they are covered with ashes, will return to life. Chapter 44 the nature and characteristics of all animals considered limb by limb, those which have tufts and crests. In addition to what is already stated, we will add an account of every part of the body of an animal, taken limb by limb. All those which have blood have a head as well. A small number of animals, and those only among the birds, have tufts of various kinds upon the head. The phoenix has a long row of feathers on it, from the middle of which arises another row. Peacocks have a hairy tuft resembling a bushy shrub. The Stymphalus has a sort of pointed crest, and the pheasant again small horns. Added to these, there is the lark, a little bird, which from the appearance of its tuft was formerly called Galerita, but has since received the Gallic name of Alauda, a name which it has transferred to one of our legions. We have already made mention also of one bird to which nature has given a crest, which it can fold or unfold at pleasure. The birds of the coot kind have also received from her a crest, which takes its rise at the beak and runs along the middle of the head, while the pie of Mars and the balearic crane are furnished with pointed tufts. But the most remarkable feature of all is the crest which we see attached to the heads of our domestic fowls, substantial and indented like a saw, we cannot in fact strictly call it flesh, nor can we pronounce it to be cartilage or a callosity, 
but must admit that it is something of a nature peculiar to itself as to the crests of dragons there is no one to be found who ever saw one chapter forty five the various kinds of horns animals in which they are movable horns too of various forms have been granted to many animals of the aquatic marine and reptile kind but those are which more properly understood under that name belong to the quadrupeds only for i look upon the tales of actaeon and of sippus even in latin story as nothing more or less than fables and indeed in no department of her works has nature displayed a greater capriciousness in providing animals with these weapons she has made merry at their expense for some she has spread them out in branches the stag for instance to others she has given them in mere simple form as in the subolo so called from the resemblance of its horns to a subola or shoemaker's awl in others again she has flattened them in the shape of a man's hand with the fingers extended from which circumstance the animal has received the name platyceros to the roebuck she has given branching horns but small and has made them so as not to fall off and be cast each year while to the ram she has given them of a contorted and spiral form as though she were providing it with the cestus for a fence the horns of the bull again are upright and threatening in this last kind the females too are provided with them while in most it is only the males the chamois has them curving backwards while in the fallow deer they bend forward the strepsiceros which in africa bears the name of attics has horns erect and spiral grooved and tapering to a sharp point so much so that you would almost take them to be the sides of a lyre in the oxen of phyregia the horns are movable like the ears and among the cattle of the troglodyte they are pointed downwards to the ground for which reason it is that they are obliged to feed with the head on one side other animals again have a single horn and that situate in the middle of the head or else on the nose as already stated then again in some animals the horns are adapted for butting and in others for goring with some they are curved inwards with others outwards and with others again they are fitted for tossing all which objects are affected in various ways the horns either lying backwards turning from or else towards each other and in all cases running to a sharp point in one kind also the horns are used for the purpose of scratching the body instead of hands in snails the horns are fleshy and are thus adapted for the purpose of feeling the way which is also the case with the cirrestes some reptiles again have only one horn though the snail has always two suited for protruding and withdrawing the barbarous nations of the north drink from the horns of the urus a pair of which will hold a couple of urnae other tribes again point their spears with them with us they are cut into laminae upon which they become transparent indeed the rays of a light placed within them may be seen to a much greater distance than without they are used also for various appliances of luxury either colored or varnished or else for these kinds of pictures which are known as sestroda or horn pictures the horns of all animals are hollow within it being only at the tip that they are solid the only exception is the stag the horn of which is solid throughout and is cast every year when the hoofs of oxen are worn to the quick the husbandmen have a method of curing them 
by anointing the horns of the animal with grease. The substance of the horns is so ductile that even while upon the body of the living animal they can be bent by being steeped in boiling wax, and if they are split down when they are first shooting they may be twisted in different ways, and so appear as to be four in number upon one head. In females the horns are generally thinner than in males, as is the case also with most kinds of wool-bearing animals. No individuals, however, among sheep or hinds, nor yet any that have feet divided into toes, or that have solid hoofs, are furnished with horns, with the sole exception of the Indian ass, which is armed with a single horn. To the beasts that are cloven-footed nature has granted two horns, but to those that have four teeth in the upper jaw she has given none. Those persons who entertain the notion that the substance of these teeth is expended in the formation of horns are easily to be refuted, for if we only consider the case of the hind, which has no more teeth than the male, and yet is without horns altogether. In the stag the horn is only embedded in the skin, but in the other animals it adheres to the bone. Chapter 46. The Heads of Animals those which have none. The head of the fish is very large in proportion to the rest of the body, probably to facilitate its diving under water. Animals of the oyster and the sponge kind have no head, which is the case also with most of the other kinds, whose only sense is that of touch. Some again have the head blended with the body, the crab, for instance. Chapter 47. The Hair. Of all animals man has the longest hair upon the head, which is the case more especially with those nations where the men and women in common leave the hair to grow, and do not cut it. Indeed, it is from this fact that the inhabitants of the Alps have obtained from us the name of Capillati, as also those of Gallia, Comata. There is, however, a great difference in this respect according to the various countries. In the island of Myconus, the people are born without hair, just as at Conus, the inhabitants are afflicted with the spleen from their birth. There are some animals also that are naturally bald, such as the ostrich, for instance, and the aquatic raven, which last has thence derived its Greek name. It is but rarely that the hair falls off in women, and in eunuchs, such is never known to be the case. Nor yet does any person lose it before having known sexual intercourse. The hair does not fall off below the brain, nor yet beneath the crown of the head, or around the ears and the temples. Man is the only animal that becomes bald, with the exception, of course, of such animals as are naturally so. Man and the horse are the only creatures whose hair turns gray, but with man this is always the case, first in the fore part of the head, and then in the hinder part. Chapter 48. The Bones of the Head Some few persons only are double-crowned. The bones of the head are flat, thin, devoid of marrow, and united with sutures indented like a comb. When broken asunder, they cannot be united, but the extraction of a small portion is not necessarily fatal, as a fleshy cicatrix forms, and so makes good the loss. We have already mentioned in their respective places that the skull of the bear is the weakest of all, and that of the parrot is the hardest. Chapter 49. The Brain The brain exists in all animals which have blood, and in those sea animals as well which we have already mentioned, as mollusks, although they are destitute of blood, the polypus, for instance. Man, however, has, in proportion to his body, the most voluminous brain of all. This, too, is the most humid and the coldest of all the viscera, 
and is enveloped above and below with two membranous integuments for either of which to be broken is fatal in addition to these facts we may remark that the brain is larger in men than in women in man the brain is destitute of blood and veins and in other animals it has no fat those who are well informed on the subject tell us that the brain is quite a different substance from the marrow seeing that on being boiled it only becomes harder in the very middle of the brain of every animal there are small bones found man is the only animal in which it is known to palpitate during infancy and it does not gain its proper consistency until after the child has made its first attempt to speak the brain is the most elevated of all the viscera and the nearest to the roof of the head it is equally devoid of flesh blood and excretions the senses hold this organ as their citadel it is in this that are centered all the veins which spring from the heart it is here that they terminate this is the very culminating point of all the regulator of the understanding with all animals it is advanced to the fore part of the head from the fact that the senses have a tendency to the direction in which we look from the brain proceeds sleep and its return it is that causes the head to nod those creatures in fact which have no brain never sleep it is said that stags have in the head certain small maggots twenty in number they are situate in the empty space that lies beneath the tongue and around the joints by which the head is united to the body chapter fifty the ears animals which hear without ears or apertures man is the only animal the ears of which are immovable it is from the natural flaccidity of the ear that the surname of flaccus is derived there is no part of the body that creates a more enormous expense for our women in the pearls which are suspended from them in the east too it is thought highly becoming for the men even to wear gold rings in their ears some animals have large and others small ears the stag alone has them cut and divided as it were in the field mouse they have a velvet surface all the animals that are viviparous have ears of some kind or other with the sole exception of the sea-calf the dolphin the fishes which we have mentioned as cartilaginous and the viper these animals have only cavities instead of ears with the exception of their cartilaginous fishes and the dolphin which last however it is quite clear possesses the sense of hearing for it is charmed by singing and is often taken while enraptured with the melody how it is that it does here is quite marvellous these animals too have not the slightest trace of olfactory organs and yet they have a most acute sense of smell among the winged animals only the horned owl and the long-eared owl have feathers which project like ears the rest having only cavities for the purpose of hearing the same is the case also with the scaly animals and the serpents among horses and beasts of burden of all kinds it is the ears which indicate the natural feelings when the animal is weary they are drooping and flaccid when it is startled they quiver to and fro when it is enraged they are pricked up and when it is ailing they are pendant chapter fifty one the face the forehead and the eyebrows man is the only creature that has a face the other animals having only a muzzle or a beak other animals have a forehead as well but it is only on the forehead of man that is depicted sorrow gladness compassion or severity it is the forehead that is the index of the mind man has eyebrows also which move together or alternately these two serve in some measure as indication of the feelings do we deny or do we assent it is the eyebrows mostly that indicate our intentions 
Feelings of pride may be generated elsewhere, but it is here that they have their principal abode. It is in the heart that they take their rise, but it is in the eyebrows that they mount, and here they take up their position. In no part of the body could they meet with a spot more lofty and more precipitous in which to establish themselves free from all control. Chapter 52 The Eyes Animals which have no eyes or have only one eye before the forehead are the eyes which form the most precious portion of the human body and which by the enjoyment of the blessings of sight distinguish life from death eyes however have not been granted to all animals oysters have none but with reference to some of the shellfish the question is still doubtful for if we move the fingers before a scallop half open it will immediately close its shell, apparently from seeing them, while the solen will start away from an iron instrument when placed near it. Among quadrupeds, the mole has no sight, though it has something that bears a resemblance to eyes if we remove the membrane that is extended in front of them. Among birds also, it is said that a species of heron, which is known as the lucis, is wanting of one eye, a bird of most excellent augury when it flies towards the south or north for it is said that it portends thereby that there is about to be an end of perils and alarms nigidius says also that neither locusts nor grasshoppers have eyes in snails the two small horns with which they feel their way perform the duties of eyes neither the mawworm nor any other kind of worm has eyes chapter fifty three the diversity of the color of the eyes the eyes vary in color in the human race only. In all other animals they are of one uniform color peculiar to the kind, though there are some horses that have eyes of an azure color. But in man the varieties and diversities are most numerous, the eyes being either large or middling size, remarkably small, or remarkably prominent. These last are generally supposed to be very weak, while those which are deep-seated are considered the best as is the case also with those which in color resemble the eyes of the goat. Chapter 54 The Theory of Sight Persons Who Can See by Night In addition to this, there are some persons who can see to a very great distance, while there are others, again, who can only distinguish objects when brought quite close to them. The vision of many stands in need of the rays of the sun. Such persons cannot see on a cloudy day, nor yet after the sun has set. Others, again, have bad sight in the daytime, but a sight superior to that of others by night. Of persons having double pupils, or the evil eye, we have already spoken at sufficient length. Blue eyes are the best for seeing in the dark. It is said that Tiberius Caesar, like no other human being, was so endowed by nature that on awaking in the night he could for a few moments distinguish objects just as well as in the clearest daylight but that by degrees he would find his sight again enveloped in darkness. The late Emperor Augustus had azure eyes like those of some horses, the white being larger than with other men. He used to be very angry if a person stared intently at them for this peculiarity. Claudius Caesar had at the corners of the eyes a white fleshy substance, covered with veins, which would occasionally become suffused with blood. With the Emperor Caius, they had a fixed steady gaze while nero could see nothing distinctly without winking and having it brought close to his eyes the emperor caius had twenty pairs of gladiators in his training school 
And of all these, there were only two who did not wink the eyes when a menacing gesture was made close to them. Hence it was that these men were invincible. So difficult a matter is it for a man to keep his eyes from winking. Indeed, to wink is so natural to many that they cannot desist from it. Such persons we generally look upon as the most timid. No persons have the eye all of one color. That of the middle of the eye is always different from the white which surrounds it. In all animals there is no part in the whole body that is a stronger exponent of the feelings, and in man is more especially, for it is from the expression of the eye that we detect clemency, moderation, compassion, hatred, love, sadness, and joy. From the eyes, too, the various characters of persons are judged of, according as they are ferocious, menacing, sparkling, sedate, leering, askance, downcast, or languishing. Beyond a doubt, it is in the eyes that the mind has its abode. Sometimes the look is ardent, sometimes fixed and steady, at other times the eyes are humid, and at others again half-closed. From these it is that the tears of pity flow, and when we kiss them, we seem to be touching the very soul. It is the eyes that weep, and from them proceed those streams that moisten our cheeks as they trickle down. And what is this liquid that is always so ready and in such abundance in our moments of grief? And where is it kept in reserve at other times? It is by the aid of the mind that we see, by the aid of the mind that we enjoy perception, while the eyes, like so many vessels, as it were, receive its visual faculties and transmit them. Hence it is that profound thought renders a man blind for the time, powers of sight being withdrawn from external objects and thrown inward. So too in epilepsy the mind is covered with darkness, while the eyes, though open, are able to see nothing. In addition to this, it is the fact that hares, as well as many human beings, can sleep with the eyes open, a thing which the Greeks express by the term koribantian. Nature has composed the eye of numerous membranes of many remarkable thinness, covering them with a thick coat to ensure their protection against heat and cold. This coat she purifies from time to time by the lacrimal humors, and she has made the surface lubricous and slippery to protect the eye against the effects of a sudden shock. Chapter 55. The Nature of the Pupil. Eyes which do not shut. In the midst of the cornea of the eye, nature has formed a window in the pupil, the small dimensions of which do not permit the sight to wander at hazard and with uncertainty, but direct it as straight as though it were a tube, and at the same time ensure its avoidance of all shocks communicated by foreign bodies. The pupils are surrounded by a black circle in some persons, while it is of a yellowish cast with others, and azure again with others. By this happy combination the light is received by the eye upon the white that lies around the pupil, and its reflection being thus tempered, it fails to impede or confuse the sight by its harshness. So complete a mirror, too, does the eye form, that the pupil, small as it is, is able to reflect the entire image of a man. This is the reason why most birds, when held in the hand of a person, will more particularly peck at his eyes, 
for seeing their own likeness reflected in the pupils they are attracted to it by what seems to be the objects of their natural affection it is only some few beasts of burden that are subject to maladies of the eyes towards the increase of the moon but it is man alone that is rescued from blindness by the discharge of the humors that have caused it many persons have had their sight restored after being blind for twenty years while others again have been denied this blessing from their very birth without there being any blemish in the eyes many persons again have suddenly lost their sight from no apparent cause and without any preceding injury the most learned authors say that there are veins which communicate from the eye to the brain but i am inclined to think that the communication is with the stomach for it is quite certain that a person never loses the eye without feelings of sickness at the stomach it is an important and sacred duty of high sanction among the romans to close the eyes of the dead and then again to open them when the body is laid on the funeral pile the usage having taken its rise in the notion of its being improper that the eyes of the dead should be beheld by man while it is an equally great offence to hide them from the view of heaven man is the only living creature the eyes of which are subject to deformities from which in fact arose the family names of strabo and Paetus. the ancients used to call a man who was born with only one eye cockles and ocella a person whose eyes were remarkably small lucinus was the surname given to one who happened to have lost one eye by an accident the eyes of animals that see at night in the dark cats for instance are shining and radiant so much so that it is impossible to look upon them those of the she-goat too and the wolf are resplendent and emit a light like fire the eyes of the sea-calf and the hyena change successively to a thousand colors and the eyes when dried of most of the fishes will give out light in the dark just in the same way as the trunk of the oak when it has become rotten with extreme old age we have already mentioned the fact that animals which turn not the eyes but the head for the purpose of looking around are never known to wink it is said too that the chameleon is able to roll the eyeballs completely round crabs look sideways and have the eyes enclosed beneath a thin crust those of crawfish and shrimps are very hard and prominent and lie in a great measure beneath a defence of a similar nature those animals however the eyes of which are hard have worse sight than those of which the eyes are formed of a humid substance it is said that if the eyes are taken away from the young of serpents and of the swallow they will grow again in all insects and in animals covered with a shell the eyes move just in the same way as the ears of quadrupeds do those among them which have a brittle covering have the eyes hard all animals of this nature as well as fishes and insects are destitute of eyelids and their eyes have no covering but in all there is a membrane that is transparent like glass spread over them chapter fifty six the hair of the eyelids what animals are without them animals which can see on one side only man has lashes on the eyelids on either side and women even make it their daily care to stain them so ardent are they in the pursuit of beauty that they must even color their very eyes it was with another view however that nature had provided the hair of the eyelids they were to have acted so to say 
as a kind of rampart for the protection of the site and as an advanced bulwark against the approach of insects or other objects which might accidentally come in their way it is not without some reason that it is said that the eyelashes fall off with those persons who are too much given to venereal pleasures of the other animals the only ones that have eyelashes are those that have hair on the rest of the body as well but the quadrupeds have them on the upper eyelid only and the birds on the lower one the same is the case also with those who have a soft skin such as the serpent and those among the quadrupeds that are oviparous the lizard for instance the ostrich is the only one among the birds that like man has eyelashes on either side chapter fifty seven animals which have no eyelids all birds however have not eyelids hence it is that those which are viviparous have no nictation of the eye the heavier kinds of birds shut the eye by means of the lower eyelid and they wink by drawing forward a membrane which lies in the corner of the eye pigeons and other birds of a similar nature shut the two eyelids but the quadrupeds which are oviparous such for instance as the tortoise and the crocodile have only the lower eyelid movable and never wink in consequence of the hardness of the eye the edge of the upper eyelid was by the ancients called cilium from which comes our word supercilia if the eyelid happens to be severed by a wound it will not reunite which is the case also with some few other parts of the human body end of section five